Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, welcome to Horse Hour. I'm Amy Frost, and my guest today is Helen West. Helen was the youngest rider to ever compete at pre-St. George level. She's also been selected for two consecutive young rider teams, and she won gold at the Young Rider European Championships. She's made her way up to the four-star level of eventing, competing at Bramham, Blenheim, Burley and Chatsworth. And now Helen's the manager of Bicton Arena. On top of that, she's show jumping and she's an FEI course designer. So lots to talk to Helen about. This is Horse Hour. Welcome to the Horse Hour podcast. Our guest today is a lovely lady called Helen West. Now, she has been a four-star eventer, she still rides, and she's the manager of Bicton Arena, which, I have to tell you, they host two international competitions in eventing, up to CIC two-star level. So I can't wait to find out everything that goes on behind the scenes of some of our major competitions. How are you, Helen? Hi there. Yeah, very good, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on this morning. Oh, you're very welcome. So I'm so keen to talk to you because we go to all these competitions and I think it's very easy to forget all the hard work that goes on behind the scenes planning them. So we will talk about your comp soon, but let's just have a little chat about you first and um, and your eventing because you competed up to four-star level. Indeed, I did, yes. <laughs> well, um, eventing was all I wanted to do, um, you know, when I was at school. I always, always wanted to be an event rider and um, I was very fortunate. I was successful as a junior and as a young rider. Um, I Mm. rode on the British junior team and also two British young rider three-day event teams um, and won won gold at the Young Rider Europeans in 2001. That's amazing. Seems a while ago, yeah, showing my age. (laughs) Um, So, no, I had a great spell and um, I then went on and um, competed at a lot of sort of big three-day events, um, both in this country and abroad. Rode for lots of different owners. Um, I was very lucky. I had some very supportive owners and, um, yeah, had a, had a great time with the eventing. But I just got to a stage in my life where I thought, is this what I want to be doing in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years' time? Um, mm. You know, took a couple of nasty enough falls and just reassessed kind of yeah where I was at in life really um that does happen you know it when, does. You have, when you have an accident it kind of brings it all back to reality of it is a dangerous sport and we focus a lot on how to get over the accident and how to deal with it psych- you know, psychologically in our brains but ultimately we then start thinking well you know actually I don't want to die um yeah, I have children absolutely. to look after I have yeah. responsibilities and then I guess you, you kind of sidestep it a little bit 
Yeah, you know, it's tough. It's physically and mentally, it's a very, very tough sport. And, you know, to be at the top, you need, you know, very, very good horses. Um, it's very expensive. Um, I think for a lot of riders, you know, you end up riding anything that comes to you because you need to pay the bills. Mm. And, you know, certainly when you're younger, you're, you know, you're, you're so desperate to be seen out there and get your foot on the ladder. You know, you'll pretty much ride anything that comes into you. And, you know, and I was lucky I had some very good horses, but I also had some quite average horses that, you know, I had to do my best with. Mm. Um, and perhaps horses that I knew, you know, shouldn't really, shouldn't really be competing at a certain level. But, you know, you have to manage owners' aspirations and, you know, where they think the horse is going. And when you're a bit younger, you tend to sort of, you know, do what, what they're telling you to. Um, and I just remember being in the position where I sort of set off out the start box one day and thought, oh, gosh, you know, I think it's a bit much for this horse. I don't think it should really be at this level. Mm. Um, and then about five minutes later, you had a nasty fall off it. And I remember sort of walking away from it thinking, gosh, you know, I was lucky. But hang on a minute. What's this telling me? I was right. You know, my gut instinct is right. Mm. And actually, I don't want to be in that position. I, you know, I want to be able to say, no, I'm, you know, I'm not riding that today. It's too much for him. And it's, you know, it, it is, it's a, it's a tough one. It's a bit um, of a wake up call really, isn't it? That absolutely. To, to, yeah. to feel, lots of people do feel under that pressure. And, yeah. and I worry about that because they're going to put themselves in situations where they're hurt. But ultimately, like you totally. said, you have no choice because you've got no. to pay the bills. So unless you no. ride the horse, you're not making any money. Absolutely. And I was, you know, I was in the position where I bought my first house when I was 21. So I had a mortgage from a fairly early age mm. and, you know, those kind of monthly bills. And whilst it was great, obviously, you know, having the income of having the horses to compete, I was only afloat for as long as I had those horses. Mm. Um, so, you know, you needed to keep the numbers up to keep paying the bills. It was sort of, yeah, it was a bit of a, not a fairground ride, but, you know, you had your ups and your downs. And I had some months where obviously I had an awful lot of horses in. And when you're on top of the game, you're on top of the game and confidence breeds confidence. But when, you know, things aren't quite going to plan and you're having a not such great spell, it's, it's very tough. Um, and, you know, I was very fortunate. I had some very loyal owners, but I've certainly seen in the sport, you know, with a lot of the younger riders, um, you know, if, if they don't tell the owners what they want to hear, you know, the horses might obviously get moved to another rider. Mm. Um, and there's always someone that is prepared to ride them. So it's it's very tough for, you know, certainly for the younger riders to sort of to be able to sort of say, actually, no. Mm. Um you know. I wonder how we can combat that. So do you think it's education for the owners? Do you think it's a little bit more understanding? Yes, absolutely. I do, definitely. Um, and I think, you know, perhaps, you know, the younger riders perhaps need, it's, it's very easy to focus on, you know, training the horse and having lessons and improving your dressage and grilling them on the flat. Mm. Um, but actually, you know, maybe some of these, you know, these younger people need help with other aspects um, you know, and how to manage owners' expectations and how to communicate with them and sort of, yeah, just just be assertive enough to, to you know, put themselves first. 
I had a really great chat with Alexander Bragg a couple of weeks ago, who yes. said exactly the same thing. He said, ultimately, he? you need yeah. to be honest with the owners. Yes. Don't feel under pressure. And, and, and he said a really interesting point, actually, which was there was one uh, owner that uh, wanted him to push the horse a little bit. And, and mm. he said, you know, this isn't necessarily right for me. Uh, maybe this owner isn't right for me. Ultimately, yeah. if they're not going to listen to what I'm saying, then maybe that partnership between owner and rider isn't quite fitting um, absolutely so I, it, I would 100% agree with that but I think that's something you 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 come to with a little bit of age mm. um, you know Alex would be a sort of similar age probably to myself now and I can look back and see that very very clearly but at the time you know when I was that bit younger and so hungry and desperate to sort of get up there and achieve it was, yeah, it was perhaps more difficult to see. I think that clarity does come a little bit with age and a bit of confidence as well. Yeah, and also you're paying the bills. You don't need to worry yeah. so much. You do have to worry about paying the bills, but, you yeah. know, providing your mortgage has been paid each month, you don't feel under that financial pressure so much. Exactly, exactly. So, well, yeah. now you're in a position where you can help these young riders, you can educate, yeah. you can guide Absolutely. them through the process with not only your competitions at Bicton, but also from your experience. So how are you taking all that, which I think is brilliant, Helen, I really do, because, you know, as everybody knows who listens to the podcast, I'm not a good rider, I wouldn't know. Um, but I, I have this need to want to help people. And it's a weird thing. Maybe I'm ready for That's children. Great. <laughs> so having that guidance and having someone for them to turn to, to say, you know, that, that is unbiased, um, you know, yeah. you're not an owner, you're not a rider. Uh, you are a writer. You're yeah, not an no, owner. You you're yeah, not no. part of their of their everyday paying the bills world. And um, to be able to give that advice, how are you using your experience to help them? Well, it's funny actually because I mean, obviously, I use my experience in so many sort of different ways now in my role here at Bicton. You know, and I think what's good is that because I've been there and done it to you know a reasonably good level, I would like to think that people you know have a bit of respect for you know, for my opinion and, you know, for where I am at. Um, and that helps an awful lot, you know, with my kind of organiser's hat on, you know, when I make decisions for the venue or, you know, specific decisions for, you know, a type of event, you know, whether that be, you know, with the horse trials, people will ask me, you know, what's the ground like? Um, and if I sort of say, right, well, we've done this and we've, you know, aggravated and I've done a designated strip that we haven't, um, you know, grazed or, had any cross-country schooling on and I would be happy to run my horse I think people take confidence and think oh great well if she's happy to run her horse you know she knows mm. what she's talking about mm. and you know and similarly with the show jumping because obviously I'm sort of um, historically an event rider um, but interestingly enough the horse I've got now um, who I do compete regularly is a very very good jumper um, and I've ended up sort of finding myself going down the show jumping route a bit, which ah. is a li little bit foreign territory for me. <laughs> but I've jumped some, you know, some quite big stuff on him in the last couple of seasons. And um, it's very interesting, you know, just sort of with my show jumping hat on, trying to sort of appease some of the show jumping competitors that come here. And, you know, they're looking for better prize money, great going, all the rest. Mm. Um, but it helps that I'm up there jumping at that level on him. Because I think they realise that, you know, I wouldn't actually go and jump him on the grass, for example, if I didn't think that the going was good enough. Yes. Um, so it, it does really help that obviously I've, I've had that background and, and that I'm out there doing it. And, you know, and I think a lot of the sort of younger riders, 
well, I'd like to think that I'm pretty approachable. And, you know, certainly a lot of them do come and sort of pick my brains and ask me what I think. And, you know, it's lovely to be in a position now where I can sort of impart some of my <laughs> life experience mm-hmm. and, you know, and sort of try and help them, um, yeah, to not make the mistakes that I did as well, to be honest, mm. you know. You're going to have lots of phone calls now. People going, come on, I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We have quite a lot of sort of, as well as, you know, the top end competitions here at Victon, we do have a lot of grassroots. Um, you know, we have a good unaffiliated sort of circuit. And, you know, at our July horse trials, we run from B80 up to novice. Um, and through the winter, we do a lot of arena eventing at sort of 70, 80, 90 in a meter level. Mm. So, you know, I have a lot of people coming and sometimes it's the first time and, you know, they don't know what to expect. And I always sort of say, look, just ask. You know, we're here to help. Just shout. Um, you know, sometimes you see them, they've sort of arrived and they're looking around and thinking, where do I go? What do I do? Um, and they just need, you know, a little bit of reassurance and a bit of a guiding hand to say, right, OK, first thing, go down to the secretaries, make sure your hat's tagged. And then, you know, so they don't get on the horse and then somebody say, oh, your hat's not tagged. You can't ride. You know, that stresses them right out. Yeah. So it's if they know what to expect first, I just think it, you know, it gives them confidence and it makes for a much smoother day for them yes well so it's, we do it's managing your expectations isn't it and um absolutely when you're trying to concentrate on your test and what you have to do next the last thing you need is a spanner thrown in the works of yeah oh well actually have you signed in what's your name da, da, da. um i remember going to my first ever competition i was only nine um and having not having a clue what i was doing not my parents not knowing what i was doing and i know i was very young but even at that age that's kind of resonated quite daunting it is. Yeah. I didn't know that, you know, the test is being read out. It was a dressage test. Um, yeah. The horse wouldn't go in the arena. I didn't know which arena I was supposed to be in. I didn't know that I was supposed to have a number on my back. And it's all such basic stuff. Yeah. But I feel what I'm feeling, what I'm getting from riders now that are starting their competitions, even as adults, is exactly the same. They yeah. have no idea what they're supposed to do. Now, we go as spectators... And we go and watch to get in the atmosphere and to know what we're, you know, what it's going to feel like and where everything's laid out. But those basic rules of going to the secretary's office, where does the, where do the horse boxes go? When do you have to book a stable? All that kind of stuff. You don't know until you actually go there for the first time to compete. No, no, exactly. We've just, um, interestingly, actually... um... A couple of weeks ago, we ran a pet plan dressage area final. Mm. And, you know, a lot of those riders, you know, it's perhaps the first time they've qualified. And it's a really big achievement for them. And it's a championship. And before, um, you know, when they actually entered, we sent out a sort of fact sheet and sort of lots of bullet points just to help them, give them the information and, you know, how to book a stable, whether there was bedding, whether they can buy things um at what time the arena walks were that sort of thing Brilliant. just so that yeah you know and I think as a venue I think you know that that does help it does help the competitors a lot mm. and how nice for you as well coming from an eventing background you're jumping into show jumping and you get to be involved in dressage too now I know that you obviously did a dressage through your eventing but dressage as its own discipline is totally different isn't it <laughs> well it is absolutely and interestingly actually my background before I was eventing was very much dressage oh. um I actually rode on the pony dressage team oh did you um, Gosh. yeah I did how did yeah. you fit all this in I don't I know well you see in my day you had to be um 16 to event mm. so I was desperate 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 to get out there and event but I wasn't old enough 
Um, and I was very fortunate. Um, I was given a very uh, good dressage pony on loan, actually, when I was probably about 11 or 12. And, um, and I thought it was, I mean, it, honestly, looking back, it was hilarious because um, my parents ran a livery yard at the time. And I remember we'd gone and picked this pony up. And we got back and we had no idea what we had here, okay? <laughs> and the pony had been on like three pony British dressage teams. Wow. And we thought, oh, you know, he, he looked nice. And, you know, obviously he's seen some photos and thought, oh, great. Anyway, we got this pony home. And um, I remember going in the school the next day and one of our liveries who was you know, quite keen on dressage and she helped me a lot when I was younger. Mm. We went out and she was like, right, okay, well, try, try a flying change. I was like, well, mm. what's, how do I do that? <laughs> Well, I don't really know. Just change the bend a bit. Go from one way to the other. Yeah, honestly, looking back, it was absolutely hysterical because we had this pony. And in fairness, he was actually a really difficult pony to ride. He was very, very cunning. And he gave you the bare minimum. Mm. So I actually did learn an awful lot from him because he made you work for every single, you know. <laughs> but I was, um, I actually um, ended up riding at pre-St. George level on him when I was 12. Oh, my um, goodness. Which was, yeah, which was, look, yeah, looking back, that was quite, quite an achievement. So, um, yeah, so I, I do have a strong interest in dressage. I, I've kind of always thought... After I'd have finished eventing, I thought I would come back to dressage. Mm. And it's funny how, you know, obviously at the minute I'm sort of more show jumping because of the horse I've got. Um, but I can still sort of see myself probably in future years coming back to the dressage because I do really enjoy it. It's like an addiction, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you just want more all the time. Let me have a bit of that. Let me have a bit of that. <laughs> and life would be so much easier if we didn't, you know. <laughs> I think, God, I'd be so much better off. Yeah. I'd have so much more time. I'd be less stressed. But oh no no you just keep coming back for more mm. so what's it like being an organizer then you know going from competing yeah. to now you're running the show Helen absolutely do you know what I as a rider for so many years I can honestly say I had no idea how much goes on behind the scenes and what goes into making an event run mm. um, and I'm almost embarrassed to think how ignorant I was for all those years I'd just rock up at an event and you know expect it to be of a standard and expect everything to be you know just so mm. but until you've been on the other side of the fence you just have no idea how much goes into it um and certainly like with the horse trials how many volunteers we rely on mm. um you know our volunteer base is just huge um you know and these are people just giving up their time giving up their day to come and you know be a road crossing steward come and fence judge for us you know come and take the teas and coffees round um, just absolutely because you know this is unpaid mm. um and it's interesting because that's one of the real differences i find between the disciplines you know with the horse trials um pretty much everybody here is a volunteer wow. um yeah whereas for the show jumping shows everybody is paid you couldn't it's such a different yeah it's honestly it's such a different mentality um it is it's it's fascinating um but yeah for the sort of you know for the show jumping shows everybody's paid from the you know from the ring stewards to the arena party to the poo pickers everybody um and it just it's interesting how how much easier it is to get people to engage in coming to help for the horse trials Mm. um it just has a slightly different I don't know, it has a slightly different feel to it. Um, and I do get frustrated now, sort of, you know, with some of the, well, I was going to say particularly the event riders because that's kind of my, you know, obviously my my background. Um, you know, when, 
for example, you know, social media is great. It has its um, huge benefits, but it also, you know, has its negative side. And when you see something about, you know, somebody moaning about a fence judge um, or moaning about somebody that, you know, I think to myself, God, that person was sat out there all day in the pouring rain, giving up that time for nothing. Actually, don't give them a hard time because if we didn't have them, the sport wouldn't happen. Yes. Um, you know, and I, I think a lot of riders perhaps aren't, aren't fully aware of that. Mm. Uh, I think it's something that, you know, could... I think if every rider was asked to help in some shape or form at an event once a year, maybe give up one day where they have to come and help, yeah. whether it be, you know, show jumping ring steward or dressage writing or fence judging mm. or whatever it might be, if they had to just give up one day and come and see the behind the scenes running, I think it would do them an awful lot of good. Mm. I totally agree. And I, I often, even as spectators, you know, I think we should say thank you to the people that are crossing, helping us to cross Absolutely. the track safely. And if, yeah. you know, if you're crossing the track and there's a horse coming and they scream at you to get out of the way, they're going to shout at you to get out of the way because it's only to keep you safe. Safe. And, Absolutely. And we do forget that they're, they're doing it for the passion and their love because, you know, 100%. their love of the sport, which is yeah. is amazing. But it frustrates yeah. me, Helen, that yeah. the show jumping people get to get paid. Because yeah, then I think, I well, that's not fair on the eventing community who are all know. you know getting Giving together up their time yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah no it's it is it's, it's the dynamics of it all are very interesting is that through lack of funding as well is that through lack of support that there isn't enough money there to be able to pay more into eventing i think eventing's come from a slightly different background um it's you know I, the last thing I want to make it sound is that it's elitist, but it's come from, you know, sort of uh, military hunting, that sort of background where, you know, people are used to perhaps, you know, giving up their day and, and being involved in it. Mm. Um, and it just historically, that's um, the sort of culture. Mm. Um, show jumping's you know, very, very different. And I mean, show jumping's changed a lot, obviously, over recent years. You know, there's an awful lot of money now um, floating around sort of in the sport of show jumping, um, you know, the Global Champions Tour, you know, the top end jumping, it's serious, serious money. You know, those horses are worth, well, hundreds and hundreds of thousands. Mm. Um, and it is, it's become very, you know, very, very professional. Um, and it's sort of, yeah, m- money talks a bit, I guess. Um, well, let's look at it a glass half full kind of way. Um, we just hope that if that pushes the equestrian industry up by money going absolutely. to show jumping, then eventually it will trickle down to the other disciplines to all the, too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, fingers crossed anyway. Fingers, yeah, no fingers crossed. It was interesting. I was at um, Burley Horse Trials um, yeah, a few months ago and um, I was um, sitting in on an FEI sort of seminar where the um, Catherine Norinder, who's sort of the head of the FEI, the um, Federation Equestrian International, she was talking about the sort of proposed changes for the eventing format mm. um, because they're, at the minute we have one, two, three and four star. So badminton is obviously the top end. Badminton and Burley are four star. And um, they're talking about bringing in another star level. So oh, really? badminton, yeah. So they're bringing in a 105 class, which will be a one star. So everything will go up by a star. And somebody asked, you know, why, why is this happening? And she said, well, it's to bring it in line with, um, you know, show jumping goes up five star. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, the, this person, you know, sort of quite right, you know, rightly asked, she said, well, why do we have to, 
you know, conform with show jumping? Why do we eventing? Why does that have to change? Mm. And she said, oh, show jumping is you know, certainly under the FBI umbrella. Show jumping is the, the sort of the top. Show jumping is the biggest sport. Show jumping is where all the money is. Show jumping is where it, you know, things matter. Um, and she said, I'm sorry, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's the eventing that has to change to come in line with that. Which I wow. thought was in. I thought was interesting. I mm. thought that was really interesting. Again, glass half full kind of guy. Yeah. Um, you know, is positive that they're looking at enhancing the industry. Absolutely, so absolutely. You know, and they be. and they're very, you know, they're very much um, in order to keep eventing within the Olympic format. You know, obviously, people will have seen the sport of eventing's changed quite a lot over recent years. Mm. Um, you know, when I first started out, it was long format. So you had your steeplechase and your roads and tracks. So you'd done sort of, you know, five or six kilometres on phase A. Then you did your steeplechase. Then you did eight kilometres on phase C, had your 10-minute box, and then you went on to your cross-country. And, you know, it's very, very different now. You know, long format, as it was called, is now, um, you know, obviously dressage on the Thursday or Friday. You do your cross-country on the Saturday and you show jump on the Sunday, but you don't have any of the roads and tracks and the steeplechase. And this was very much to keep eventing in the Olympics because what they were finding were, you know, finding venues to be able to um, actually host that and have the space and have, you know, obviously it's very expensive to put on a three-day event. They just you know, were not able to. Mm. So the short format made it easier to obviously keep eventing in the Olympics. Um, but they're now very much wanting to make it more accessible for more nations um so again it's kind of not dumbing it down but it's slightly dropping down a level um mm. so they want to have more flags they want to have more kind of participation um to keep it in the olympics mm. so i think sort of certainly you know the next two if it stays in i think you know will will look slightly different because i think you know the cross country will be softened slightly in order to get greater participation from more nations Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
that doesn't mean it'll be easier. The course will be easier, though, surely. Yeah, no, it does. It does. Yeah, it does. And there's an argument, you know, obviously that the Olympics should be the absolute pinnacle and the top end of the sport. Mm. And they don't like the fact that badminton, Burley, Lexington, those what are now current four stars are actually harder. You know, they are more tough than the Olympics. Um, but that is, you know, at the end of the day, that is a fact. They are. Mm. Um, and the Olympic course, you know, it's well sort of accepted that it is obviously slightly easier to enable more nations to actually complete. Goodness me. Gosh, there's lots of politics behind it, isn't oh, there? Oh, there's always <laughs> politics. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on, you know, things like the Event Riders Masters? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the ERM's great. You know, it's done a fantastic job at, you know, promoting eventing and getting it to the forefront of you know viewing mm. um and an awful lot of money's gone into it um i have sort of you know i have good thoughts and i have you know perhaps slightly there's parts of it i'm not quite so keen on i'm a little bit old-fashioned maybe a bit mm-hmm. traditional um i think again i think it's changed the nature of the sport slightly um you know again sort of with your old long format days you very much had to, you know, have your horse very fit. And um, in order to preserve your horse for the last day when you show jumped, you know, you had to ride the cross country with your head um, and very much make sure you had enough petrol left in the tank mm. to, you know, in order to bring your horse out on the third day to show jump. Um, you know, the format with the ERM, obviously, they do their dressage, then they show jump and then they go cross country in reverse order of merit it means that obviously they haven't got anything after they've finished the cross country. So they can kind of go hell for leather and go as fast as they like cross country. Um, and it just, it's just changed the dynamics of it slightly. Um, you know, I think it's, um, it's great. It's done an awful lot for the sport. And I think it's, you know, overwhelmingly positive. The, just the aspect of it that I'm not so keen on is that sometimes, you know, you get some slightly tired looking horses and some not quite so attractive pictures. Mm. Um, and that would be my sort of slight concern moving forward. So we need to make sure that they're focusing on horse welfare, which from Absolutely. all the vets that are attending and things like Absolutely. that, I'm sure. But and like, I guess with anything new, when you change something, there are going to be some bumps in the road, aren't there? Oh, completely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, there are. So yeah. as a as a as a venue um, yes. and when you're running your CIC two star events and your dressage competitions and your show jumping competitions, apart from the fact that you have so much to deal with in terms of staff and where people are going to go <laughs> and setting out the courses and, you know, all the planning and preparation and health and safety must be an absolute nightmare. Oh, don't. Yeah. <laughs> as we're in the UK as well. Exactly. Um, how, how do you focus on horse welfare? What, what is it that's important to well, Victor? Inter- interestingly enough, I actually, just to add to the kind of equation, I'm actually um, a course designer. Oh, wow. So, yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm a British eventing and an FVI cross-country course designer. So I design all the tracks here at Bicton. Um, and I also have branched out and um, I did Nunny International um, in 2017. And I've also done Ball and Dennis in Ireland. That's amazing. So yeah, no, and I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, and again, it's really interesting because obviously when I was a rider and you know, I used to walk the course and you <laughs> used to walk the course and say, that's rubbish. I would Absol- move that over totally there. I would do and that now you that. can. <laughs> absolutely. But it's funny, you know, you walk the course very much through the eyes of your horse and what you're sat on that day. So 
yeah, it's so different from actually putting your course designer hat on. Mm. Um, it, it's fascinating. I mean, that's a whole mother ball game that I could talk for hours about. <laughs> I could talk to but, you for hours. Yeah. I do have a question, actually, because quite okay. often we see, especially this year, there's been a couple of events that have had some tricky jumps where lots of people have fallen at the same yeah. jump. So how do you as a course designer work out the difference between a tricky jump and a dangerous jump? Right. If you thought you had a dangerous jump, you shouldn't have it in there. So if I ever went to bed at night and I was really concerned about a fence on my track, I I would I literally wouldn't sleep and I'd pull the fence out. Mm. You know, it's I think it's absolutely imperative that, you know, as a designer, you're 100% confident that you haven't put anything out there that is dangerous. Um yes, you want to test the horses and the riders, but I mean, I've very much learned, you know, Riders will make mistakes. They're only human. But it's interesting because actually if you put two fences out, you know, that are completely unrelated, because they haven't walked it on a distance and think to themselves, right, that's going to be three strides or whatever, they'll actually make a mistake because they've almost got more time and more sort of, um, you know, more leeway to sort of hang themselves slightly. Mm. Um, So, yes, so certainly from a design perspective, um, yes, you know, you have in your head the the fences that you know you're setting a bit of a challenge and you're, you know, you're questioning the horse or the rider. Um, But I'm very, very sort of passionate that the um, questions must always be obvious to the horse. You're never out to trick the horse um you know horses must read the question and understand it in order to obviously jump it safely Mm. um and like you know we've moved into the era of frangible devices so we have um pins and mim clips that we use regularly um as you know as designers um and you know there's a bit of a heated debate going on at the minute because um you know people the fei it's a strong recommendation that frangible devices should be used, but it's not actually a rule. Oh, um, gosh. Yeah, so obviously, you know, with some of the accidents that have happened, you know, people have, you know, understandably questioned, well, why, you know, why wasn't that fence pinned or why wasn't that fence clipped? And, you know, there's an awful lot of reasons that go into it. Um, you know, some fences you can't do that with. And, you know, to be honest, sometimes if you feel as a designer that you need to put or you have to put a device on that fence, I would question whether actually the you know the the task you're setting the horse and rider is is right because you shouldn't need to mm. um you know there's fences that statistically you know we know horses are more likely to make a mistake out and are more likely to cause a fall um and for example like a an open oxer or an open corner we would always pin the front rail and reverse pin the back rail mm. and i think you know that's very sort of established now, certainly in this country. It's probably more in the sort of, um, when, when I say lesser countries, I don't mean lesser countries, but, you know, the no, I know countries you that, you know what yeah. I mean. Um, it's more in those countries that perhaps fences appear that aren't, you know, built to the standard that they should be um, and that, you know, perhaps don't use the devices that, you know, we have access to over here. Hmm. So much to go into it. Um, I do have a question about your coaching, not your coaching individually, but your coaching at Bicton. Because a recent question that's come, and I and I admire your honesty, Helen. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, a question that has come up a lot recently in venues and riding schools is the ability for the uh, the ability of the instructors, their qualifications. You touched on the law and the fact there are no regulations with safety. Well, there uh-huh. are no regulations with instructors 
instructors either as to what qualification they have to have to be able to instruct. And I'm hearing more and more and more that unqualified people are instructing students that maybe shouldn't be in my opinion they shouldn't be because they're not insured for one yeah um there's safety implications if they're not making sure that the health and safety implications but safety implications of the rider they won't be well equipped to deal with things if something happens to the horse yeah so as a venue um you know and you are a huge venue so i know that all your riders will be professionals but what advice can you give to riding schools that are struggling that don't have much money to be able to pay for you know top level instructors to make sure that their riding school is the best that it can be and the safest yeah i mean i think it's very important to promote some of our you know our younger enthusiastic like for example i another hat i'm also dc of our local pony club okay (laughs) and um you know I, i look at some of the kids that have grown up through the pony club um and you know one thing the pony club does do incredibly well is the horsemanship side of things Mm. and that's where you know i really think that that's a really good thing about the pony club and some of these you know these kids that have grown up through the pony club and come and helped at camp um and you know helped with the little ones those you know those those girls i look at i think gosh you know let's put some training into them let's send them let's get their first aid let's get you know let's get them all the sort of credentials they need, all the boxes ticked, why don't we put them through that so that we can then actually use them and put them back into the system? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we want to be encouraging them um, and we want to encourage younger trainers to do things properly and to go through the system and to get, you know, to get those boxes ticked to then be safe and to be able to send out and coach, you know, our younger members. And whether, you know, riding schools could look at something similar because, you know, I'm sure there's always, um, children, you know, children that have kind of grown up through that riding school that are very involved with it, that perhaps, you know, with a bit of encouragement, you know, would like to perhaps go down that route. Um, and if they were in a position, you know, to be able to put them through the training, get their um, first aid and actually then put them back into the riding school to help. Um, I think that would sort of, you know, be a good starting point, certainly. It's tricky, isn't it? Because a lot of riding schools are struggling now. You know, there isn't a lot of money in the industry. There's not a lot of money anywhere at the moment, not just in the equestrian industry. But you're right. It is very, very, I do think it is very important. And I mean, we had an uh, we had an awful tragic incident actually at Bicton um, in 2016 where um, somebody um, I knew very well actually was having a private lesson with a very, very qualified um, instructor and she had a stupid fall and died. You know, she oh, lost yeah. her life. I mean, horrific, oh, absolutely I'm sorry horrific. To hear that, yeah, I? no, it was, it was awful. And the only thing I can say is, you know, thank God, like, the person she was having the le- you know the lesson with was a UKCC level three coach. Um, you know we were at Bicton. It was on you know a fantastic surface. It was using a BS you know um, top set of show jumps. We had safety cups. You know we've got notices everywhere. Um, it you know I know it sounds awful, but from you know from our venue's perspective, mm. um, you know we'd done everything right that we possibly could, um, and actually you know the. Um, when the sort of coroner's verdict came out, she said it just was such a tragic accident. She said, 
uh, but it couldn't have happened at a better place, you know. And mm. it sounds, you know, it sounds awful as a kind of backhanded compliment. Well, no, not but, at all, because you, just, you could deal yeah. with it and you were equipped you know, we to even, deal with it. Totally. We even have like a defibrillator here. Um, I'm lucky because obviously Bitten is owned by Clinton Devon Estates. Um, it's a 23 generation family business, you know, and, and it's great to have that kind of backing from them. Mm. But in the estate office, we, ha- you know, we do everything properly. Um, they're very hot on the health and safety. And we have a defib in the office. Um, so to have been able to have access to that, you know, when it happened was amazing. Mm. Um, you know, and obviously, sadly, it didn't save her life on this occasion. But on a lot of occasions, that would have made a massive difference. And if you'd been out in some, you know, not great school somewhere with fences that weren't up to standard, you know, with no first aid help at all. I mean, and with an instructor that wasn't qualified and wasn't insured, mm. it would just be a nightmare. Uh, and that that Honestly, does get that scares me. It scares the life out of me as yeah. well. Recently, yeah. I had an accident uh, back in March. I, I lost my memory, so oh, um, gosh. Yeah, yeah, two no, that's months. Really scary. And it was a very similar to that. It was a simple yeah. accident, totally. nothing major. I just happened to fall off, lost my balance. Yeah, the air vest went off, spooked the horse, and I got kicked yeah. in the head. Head. That's yeah. what it was. Thank yeah. goodness for my coach because she, you know yeah. she is a high level coach, do. qualified. Knew straight away what to do. What exactly. scares me is you've got these young young kids and young adults yeah. that yeah. aren't qualified yeah. that are coaching four kids at the same time in a riding school. You, 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 like, and I feel yeah. for the riding school because a lot of the time the riding schools yeah. don't know what Any they're supposed different. to be doing. No, no. So no, I'm hoping that by talking about it, we can show that there are other ways and that... Absolutely. You know, we yeah. want to help the youngsters come through with apprenticeships yeah, we do. too. Yeah, we do. So yeah, they do. can be involved in it, but they can shadow a qualified instructor. Absolutely. Yeah. And there must be so many opportunities for them to do that. Mm. My goodness, Helen, I could talk to you for hours. You are my new best friend. Oh, bless you. Well, it's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much. Um, maybe one day you can come back on and we can put the world to rights to. on rights another again. thing. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be delighted to. So you've yeah. got lots of great things going on at Bicton over the winter to help people yes. with their training, yes, getting ready for have. competitions next yes. year. So have you got a website that we can go and have a look at? Absolutely, we do. Yes, um, it is a double www.bicton-arena.co.uk perfect and so we have do go and check it out we have horse hour every monday night on um, on twitter and we do tweet all week but if you want to get involved in the networking hour and you'd like to follow bicton arena then helen what's your twitter handle it is bicton arena perfect so we can follow that and and i guess you're on facebook and instagram we and are that absolutely now, don't do be afraid like of, us on facebook don't be afraid of social helen because our community are very friendly and we only do Fantastic. we don't stand for any negativity we only want Brilliant. supportive people Brilliant. so yes. um thank you so much i'm going to come and visit you very soon do you'd be welcome anytime thank please you. do i'd see you see you then thanks bye <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Helen's sponsored by Horsehage, which is a high-quality, dust-free bagged forage available in four varieties, high fibre, timothy, ryegrass and alfalfa. They offer a choice suitable for all types of horses and ponies, including those prone to laminitis. The company is the official forage supplier for Horse of the Year show and the British Equestrian Team. If you want more information on Horsehage, head to www.horsehage.com. .co.uk
Well, there's lots more coming up on the Horse Hour podcast on the next few weeks, including Emily King. Really looking forward to you hearing her interview. And also, I got a chat with her mum, Mary King, too. I've lined up some veterinary advice for you. So when we're going into the winter months, I thought it was important to see how we look after our horses in the winter. And in particular, I'll be speaking to B&W Equine Vets about acorns because they're rife at the moment. Are you struggling with acorns? I've got an acorn tree in the field, which is a nightmare because it only sprouts acorns about once every three years. But right now, they've got more than they've ever had. So I've had to section it off. So I'm interested to hear how acorns affect the horses how dangerous are they really and uh, how can we manage acorns if you have any questions that you'd like me to ask bnw equine vets then drop us a tweet at horse hour of course you can message us on facebook as well it's exactly the same at horse hour and instagram as well don't forget every monday night between eight and nine we all get together equestrians from all over the world talk to each other just by using the hashtag horse hour so if you'd like to share your journey your story your pictures your videos anything that you've been up to with your horse or if you'd like to get some advice then just use hashtag horse hour there's lots more of information and education on our website if you head to horsehour.co.uk i hope you have a great week with your horse and i'll speak to you soon you've been listening to horse hour join the community on twitter mondays 8 p.m uk time 3 p.m eastern by using the hashtag horse hour follow amy at amy stevenson one and subscribe to us on acast itunes stitcher and player fm planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.